Welcome back to another episode of The Pin Down. I'm your host, Alex, with your other host, Tyler, from Hoop Venue. And uh, we are well underway into the playoffs. Got a lot that has happened in the short amount of time since we last talked. Uh, I think one of the the bigger series that's kind of jumped out right out of the gate is uh, the Boston and Brooklyn series. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the first half of that game, I mean, Boston looked dominant. And then, you know, Brooklyn went on a run. Kyrie Irving started making literally everything. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> it's it comes down to the last possession. And, of course, Jason Tatum hits the, the buzzer beater layup. Uh, what are what are your thoughts on this series? Were you surprised to see Brooklyn even make a comeback in the first place? Uh, were you surprised to see Boston get out of there with a win? What are your initial thoughts? Yeah, I, I definitely wasn't surprised at the Nets going on a run like that because when you have superstar power, volatile scores like that, they can just take over a game at any moment and you never know when it's going to stop. Kyrie Irving being the example here where, like you said, he made literally everything. It seemed like whether he was double teamed, whether he was stuck in the corner and had to jab step just to get a shot off. um, He was literally making everything. And it was just that's kind of what you expect from the Nets every now and then. What I didn't expect was. Kevin Durant to come out and immediately have like four first quarter turnovers. Um, It's always been a criticism of him compared to some other offensive engines that like he, as the primary initiator, when the playoff defense is focused on him, it's a, it's a bit harder for him to actually produce offensively. But um, from what we've seen this season, I didn't think that would be much of a problem. And I still don't know how much of a, of a problem it'll really be. But in that first quarter, it really looked like a problem. Kevin Durant couldn't get to his spots. He couldn't comfortably – he's known to make it look effortless, and everything looked like it took a lot of effort in the first half. Mm. And in the second half, he definitely saw an uptick. He was definitely playing a lot better. It looked like he was uh, slowing it down, and it was coming to him a bit better. And I wouldn't be surprised if next game he comes out and he has an efficient 40. I wouldn't be surprised. But I also wouldn't be surprised if this is uh, a consistent trend, especially with how good of a team defense Boston has. I was really impressed with Al Horford specifically on defense Mm -hmm. because he was doing everything. The Celtics were switching him onto guards. He was in every pick and roll action. He was rotating to protect the rim and he was completing every possession with a rebound. Like, he did it all defensively, and I just think, uh, like I said in the last episode, my pick has been Celtics and six. Uh, I'm sticking with that. I'm still going Celtics and six, but uh, I definitely think it's going to be a hard six where a lot of these games are, are grudge, grinded out games, and it'll come down to the wire a few times, I think. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. This game kind of confirmed – not only the suspicions I had about Boston, but also the suspicions that I had about Brooklyn. Um, you know, like you said, they're relying entirely on Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And everyone knows that. That's not really a big secret. And I think Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving will be the first ones to tell you, yeah, we're, we're prepared to do that. That's what we expect of ourselves. That's what our teammates expect of us. And that's what the fans expect of us. And, you know, good for them. But... It, it really, really showed in game one. I was just like, you know, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant was obviously struggling uh, shooting in general, and then Kyrie Irving was having to 
be an absolute magician with the ball and putting it in the basket. So Boston just, I mean, one of the big, big, one of the big problems with Brooklyn is that a lot of their points are coming from the perimeter. You know, they're creating a lot Mm -hmm. of their own shots, you know, a lot of catch and shoot threes. Uh, They really don't have much interior scoring presence outside of Kyrie Irving slashing to the basket and Kevin Durant. Uh, and even still, Kevin Durant's going to likely opt more for mid-range pull-ups and, and three-pointers than he is Right, KD basket. isn't so. as much of a slasher as he used to be, definitely. Right. He's more of a – he's looking to get to, like, at most, the short mid-range for a quick little bunny jumper. He's right. not really looking to get all the way into the paint. Yeah, and so you've got a team like Boston, you know, take this Brooklyn team and you throw it against a team that doesn't have good interior defense or good uh, – excuse me, good perimeter defense – And, you know, that first game probably looks a little bit different. But the problem is the Brooklyn really is lacking much interior scoring ability. And Boston has really, really good interior defense. And on top of that, they also have really, really good perimeter defense. So Mm -hmm. from Brooklyn's perspective, it's like, well, they're taking away our bread and butter and Boston was forcing them to do things that they normally don't have to do. I mean, I was rewatching, uh, rewatching some footage today cause I'm working on a Celtics video right now. And it was like Brooklyn just looked uncomfortable in a half court offense. They were just really, really struggling to, to get anything going. I mean, it was like, we're giving Kevin Durant the ball and getting out of the way. We're giving Kyrie Irving the ball and getting out of the way. And, you know, against some teams that can work, but, even right. even Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are going to be made uncomfortable by this Boston Celtics defense because they're just that good. Mm-hmm. And then you're just relying on on variance at that point, you know, shooting variance. And especially yeah, especially since like you said, a lot of their shots are jumpers, so it's like yeah. it's going to be there's going to be some high variance, but there's also going to be some lows, like some very very low lows. And oh yeah, against a team like Boston, I don't know if you can afford that. Right, and you know, is Kyrie Irving going to average? you know, 35 plus points on 82% true shooting. Like he did in game one. Like, do we, is right, that going to have to be the norm for him? And does Brooklyn have the facilities to weather the storm in an inevitable Kyrie poor shooting performance? I don't think so. They can afford right. that. And, we, and haven't, like, we haven't even talked about Boston's offense yet. Right. I was, that's exactly what I was just about to go to. Like, here's the thing. Brooklyn had a great offensive game all around. They had a 118 offensive rating. Mm-hmm. Like, they they gave it to I think that's the biggest uh I think that worries me the most if I'm Brooklyn. The fact that you had a a great offensive game against the number one defense, number one or two defense, and you still lost. That is scary. That is like, okay, we did everything we knew we needed to do, and Boston didn't even play their best game, and we still lost. It's like Sure, Boston had some players step up. Jason Tatum, his playmaking especially just oh, looked yeah. phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Like he he's just I remember there was one specific play where he he loaded up for an ISO in the right corner and skipped it all the way to the opposite corner. I'm, I'm literally talking Williams. about that play in my video. I know exactly what right. you're talking about. Like that is just that is that is ridiculous uh vision and, and range by Jason Tatum that he just continues to improve on every game. Marcus Smart had a phenomenal performance, especially in that third quarter. Oh, my God. But, like, even Jalen Brown did not play too hot. Like, Jalen Brown didn't have his best offensive game. 
he's going to have some explosive games. He's going to have a game where he goes for 30, mm-hmm. a very efficient 30. He's going to have games where he's shooting 40 plus percent from three. Right. That didn't happen. And the Celtics still dropped a 119 offensive rating on Brooklyn. That is, that's terrifying. Like Brooklyn clearly is just a very flawed team. And I think a lot of, uh, a lot of the problems will be fixed by Ben Simmons if he returns sometime during the series. But on the same front, is, is how how you feel about them with Ben Simmons, right? What are your thoughts? But on the same front, Ben Simmons isn't really a defensive floor raiser. He's someone who will elevate your defense by uh, playing like that switch man defense type of role. Mm-hmm. But he's not someone you go out there and you say, "Hey, cover all of our problems." He's not a Draymond Green or a Rudy Gobert type defender. Mm-hmm. And to me. Uh, this just screams Boston has to really mess up to fumble this series. Which is entirely possible. But <clears throat> I, given their experience, this is what I keep coming back to, is you look at all the lumps that, that the Celtics have taken over the past, you know, what is it, five years at this point? You think of all that they've been through, all of their playoff runs. It's like, at a certain point, they're going to break through. And if it's going to be any year, I feel like it's got to be this year. <clears throat> now I'm not saying they're going to the finals or anything. I'm not going to like put money on that right now, but you know, I right. think this is their best shot in a really, really long time. And you know, Ben oh, Simmons is certainly, a, probably. Yeah. And Ben Simmons is certainly going to help. Don't get me wrong. Um, particularly with providing, somewhat of an interior scoring presence granted you know he's not going to be you know posting guys up and using fancy footwork to get a shot at the rim he's not going to be you know doing anything crazy taking post fades or anything like that but he is a good finisher he still will be able to just use his strength and his athleticism assuming he is fully healthy to get to the basket and finish but you know for such a perimeter based team he doesn't help them in that department defensively yeah he'll certainly help just as a as a perimeter defender and offering some switchability and uh you know making guys uncomfortable no doubt about it but there are still some very glaring issues one thing that i was i was looking at today is just the fact that you know i don't know when ben simmons is going to come back so this is kind of under the assumption that he's not going to be back in game two or uh even game three for that matter but uh i was i was looking at it today and you know, Nicholas Claxton is a good defender. Don't get me wrong. Bruce Brown has shown that he's capable of being a good defender. Kevin Durant even shows on occasion that he can be an elite defender when he really wants to. But yeah. when you've got, you know, Kyrie Irving out there and Seth Curry or, or Patty Mills alongside Kevin Durant, Nicholas Claxton. And even Bruce Drummond Brown, in the middle sometimes. Drummond can yeah. be very questionable as well. Yeah, and you've got like, I mean, when you have to pull Nick Claxton – out to the perimeter, a guy who probably should be anchoring your defense most of the time on the interior, you know, it just opens everything up. And Boston is such a good interior scoring team. I mean, they got guys that can make cuts. They've got guys that can slash to the basket. You know, they've got lob threats. Uh, it's just like pulling bigs out like that, that should be anchoring the defense and forcing them to play perimeter defense against these really talented scorers like Jason Tatum you know, it's going to create a ton of issues. And even if Ben Simmons comes back, say, game three, because I haven't heard anything about him coming back in game two, so I don't know. Uh, But, I mean, game three rolls around. 
they're still going to have those issues. Ben Simmons might help, but you know, to what extent is it really going to be enough to overcome a potential O2 deficit? I mean, I'm pretty sure like 90 plus 90 percent plus teams that go up O2 in a, or 2-0 in a series move on to the second round or move on to the next round. That's a really hard mm-hmm. deficit to overcome. It's possible, but it's hard to do. Yeah. And something else that uh, stand, stood out to me in the last game that uh, I don't think people are talking about enough, the Nets shot 46% from three. Oh, yeah. And the Celtics only shot 36%. They shot 10% better from three and still lost. Yeah. They shot, they shot better from the field, better from three, and they still lost. That uh, is alarming. On the flip side, that, that, a- another crazy thing is Boston had 53 points in the paint. Brooklyn mm-hmm. had 29. Yeah. That's just I like, mean, that's just, a massive discrepancy. Yeah, and, and the Celtics, I mean, it's crazy to me how the Nets were so much more efficient and they still couldn't outscore them. Yeah. Like, it was almost like no matter what they did, the Celtics were just winning that game. I mean, they killed them on the offensive boards, uh, 14 to five. Yep. 14 offensive rebounds. Like that's pretty absurd. Shout out Al Al Horford. He was a big part of that. Facts. Al Horford was putting in work, man. I love Mm -hmm. Al Horford. He's always been one of my favorite players, man. It's uh, so crazy that a guy like Al Horford is still as productive as he is at 35 years old. Like the athleticism, like quote unquote athleticism that he plays with still is, He's so Impressive. mobile. <laughs> it's it's weird watching him watching him grab boards and push the ball down the floor at the speed he does. Mm-hmm. And also, this this sounds like a good uh, time for me to endorse the most underrated archetype in all of basketball and always has been is the combination of passing and defense. Notice yep. how all of these old players that are still productive role players are passing and de- um, in defending. Iguodala. Draymond Green, Al Horford, all of these underrated guys are a a unique combination of passing and defense that just will always be useful on a title team. And I don't think people talk about those roles enough because they usually they aren't dominant scorers. Like none of those guys are dominant scorers, but they're doing all of the little things. And having a team like Boston, right, having a team like Boston where you have all of these capable off-ball scorers, Having a guy in the middle who can initiate and facilitate is just so, so good for your offense while also being um, involved in every defensive action. I just think, uh, yeah, it kind of went off topic with the Al Horford stuff, but I guess that kind of <laughs> fl- uh, falls under the the idea that the Celtics just have a very, very good and deep roster. And I wonder if um, it's in their best interest to actually draw this series out as much as possible because – uh, they're gonna want Rob Will back from Milwaukee, of course, because that's what I was thinking uh, about too. It's just like Milwaukee isn't Brooklyn. They're going to get to the basket. They have arguably the greatest rim finisher in league history. Mm-hmm. So you need Rob Will back if you're gonna want to compete in that series. But uh, I don't want to think too far ahead. I just want to. I, I think their ultimate goal, obviously, is not to draw it out. But if it happened, I don't think it'd be a bad thing. It's I don't think just so either. They want to beat the Nets, and like I said, my opinion is that they win it in six, and I I was under the impression that 
they would get two games under on the idea that Kyrie or KD has an explosive performance, but Kyrie just had a very explosive one and they lost. So that's the crazy. Yeah, that's just that's the craziest part know, to me is that Kyrie freaking thirty nine points on. 82% true shooting, 60-60, splits. Like, man, if you're doing yeah. that, even though KD put up a stinker, I mean, that's uh, the, that's tough. The problem is, I wouldn't be surprised if KD has a phenomenal game the next game and Kyrie is struggling. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised at that at all. And I'm just saying, it isn't coming from me, but you let Kevin Durant lose in the first round with Kyrie Irving. Uh after all of the Steph stuff, and if the Warriors go on to like win it all or go make the conference finals, it's going to be real nasty on Twitter. If you're oh, a KD fan, the it's going to be the real nasty on Twitter. Going to be crazy. <laughs> the legacy talks are going to get grimy, man. That's yeah. all I'm saying. So moving on to a to a series, maybe not as loaded with star power, at least for now. Uh, the the Jazz and the Mavericks, man. I was telling you in the last. And then we were talking about it in the last episode. I said, all the Mavericks need to do is steal one. You steal one, mm-hmm. get Luka back. Don't go down 0-2. Even up the series. You get Luka back. Man. And and he's expected to play game three, I'm pretty sure. It's at yeah. the latest game four. Mm-hmm. At the latest game four. So... Yeah, that, that's pretty interesting. This this series so far has been perfectly evenly matched. Like it they has. have, they both have a zero net rating. It is exactly even right now. Like that's wild. <laughs> both teams are literally they they've won by the same margin of victory, and to me, it's fairly obvious that the Jazz have the exact same problem they had the last two years. Yeah, they couldn't stop me from getting into the paint, and mm-hmm. I suck at driving. They couldn't stop me from getting into the paint. It's like. It's almost like I was watching some old clips from like 2019. It was against the Rockets in that 2019 series. Utah was playing phenomenal peel and scramble defense where he one guy gets beat off the dribble and he peels off to another shooter mm. and they fill the gaps. They've gotten so used to Rudy Gobert covering for all their mistakes that they just they don't even peel. They just stay with their man and it just becomes a wide open three because Gobert is forced to rotate. And it's like. I almost feel like Quinn Snyder has. You're leading uh, right into my next question. Quinn Snyder has almost put this idea in their head that they want to let one guy shoot from the same spot every single possession. Just because a guy is a low percentage three point shooter doesn't mean that he's not going to get into a rhythm and make shots if he's shooting from the exact same spot every time. Mm-hmm. Like we saw it with Terrence Mann, he was shooting from the exact same spot over and over again, and eventually he caught fire. Maxi Kleba last night was like eight for ten from three or something like that. You cannot let an NBA player get into a rhythm from the exact same spot off the exact same pass over and over again. It's too predictable. It's too easy. And the Jazz are not going to win playing that way. No. They're just not. So my question is, what's uh, give me a temperature check on Quinn Snyder's job. Ooh. I don't know, man, because... I haven't seen people talking about this much, but we've heard a couple, we've heard a couple whispers throughout the season. It hasn't been a lot, but every now and then something's come up and it's been like, yeah, you know, Quinn Snyder might be in the hot seat. I don't I'm not saying I Probably, agree with yeah, it. I'm just saying. That's a, you know. I don't I, I think Quinn Snyder has gotten 
very, very comfortable to the point where I almost feel like he's scared to make a big adjustment, but it's needed. It's very clearly needed. Like I'm trying to think of a good example of an in-series adjustment that would uh, kind of cover this up. But like, think about a team that um, completely warped their defensive scheme. Like that's what they need to do. They need to change their defensive scheme mid-series if they want to win. It's like, I just, I, I don't really get it. I don't really get wh- why they keep doing this. Like, obviously, the, the roster construction and the personnel makes it very hard. But, like, you got to make the. Right, they're not even going to try? Right. They're not even going to try? Like, try going back to that peel and scramble. Try letting Gobert guard Dinwiddie on the perimeter or something. Try something. Like, I, I genuinely think they should have put Rudy Gobert on Spencer Dinwiddie last game. I genuinely thought that. Like, not only is he the worst three point shooter on that lineup, usually, um, Rudy Gobert can prevent point of attack better than anyone else on the Jazz. I don't think people realize that. He's not a phenomenal perimeter defender, but he's better than anyone else on the team besides maybe Royce O'Neal, who wasn't even guarding Dinwiddie anyways. Like, put Gobert on Dinwiddie. If Dinwiddie tries to ISO him, I, I would live with a Dinwiddie ISO. I think so too, yeah. I would live with that. because And don't give Gobert any help. Leave him on an island. But if they don't go to Dinwiddie... Now Gobert is helping off of the worst shooter on the team instead of Maxi Kleba. And it's like, I don't get why Utah doesn't try different things. They just let it happen over and over and over again. And then it's in the press conference. Oh, our guys didn't give enough effort. Oh, dude. They can give all the effort they want. If you're not putting them in positions to succeed, then it doesn't matter. Exactly. And it's just, man, the only thing that... I think uh, makes it a bit questionable for Dallas is that uh, say what you want about Utah. They have the loudest crowd in the league in the playoffs. They have the loudest crowd in the league They're They get into it. Yeah. Um, so if Utah goes on a run, like, like at home in the playoffs, when Utah goes on a run, it's very, very hard to come back because they get everyone into it. And Donovan Mitchell, uh, Albeit he hasn't been too efficient in his first couple games. He's still putting up 33 points a game right now. Um, no, he but he'll, he'll, he'll get on a heater at some point. Exactly. His aggression. He's so aggressive. And it's just um, he's going to get on a heater, like you said. And uh, I think Luca has the uh, mental toughness to weather the storm. But I don't know if the rest of the Mavs do. I don't know how Jalen Brunson would perform in that type of environment, for, for, uh, for example, who – by the way, last night looked like a freaking superstar. It was that awesome. That was wild. That was so freaking wild, dude. Seeing him go off like that, I was just like, I, I, I mean, if you watched Dallas throughout this this season, you knew he was capable of going for twenty plus. But I mean, for him to, I'm gonna say it. I mean, he looked like the best player on the floor last night. I don't think that's. Oh, 100%. I don't think that's crazy to say. I mean, he was the, take, no. he was the best player in that game last night. He I definitely didn't think he was. was I mean, of that. He was he was absolutely phenomenal, mm-hmm. and uh, if he if he uh, if he can continue not that type of play but a star level of play, Luka Doncic comes back. That's a scary look for Utah. That's oh a scary gosh. look for Utah. That's for a sure. scary look for just about any team. Yeah, anyone in the league except for I don't think the Warriors. <laughs> except, for, except for the Warriors, we're we're gonna get to them. One thing I want to say real we quick. We need to get to the Warriors. <laughs> one thing I want to say real quick about we were talking about Quinn Snyder. 
I think Twin, uh, Quinn Snyder is a is a good coach. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, to I me, so what too. separates the good coaches from the great coaches is the ones that are willing to take those risks and make those mid series adjustments that may backfire, but they're taking those risks with that understanding that it could go wrong, but you have to live with the results because clearly doing the same thing over and over again, it's like, you know, the common saying, it's the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Utah has been doing the same thing for two years now, and the result is seemingly the same. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's what a coach like Ty Lu wouldn't let happen. Nope. He the, the mid-series adjustments have to happen and this is going to this looks like it's going to be the third playoff in a row where they just don't do it. And yeah. maybe they can edge by Dallas uh because of that, because of just uh them having explosive performances or Luka not being 100%, whatever it may be. But um expecting to compete with a team like Phoenix in the second round after not making adjustments? Absolutely not. Yeah, good luck. Absolutely not. Yeah, so, right. Moving on to, uh, I'm sure you are beyond excited to talk about this game. Uh, <laughs> the Golden State Warriors absolutely, excuse me, the Golden State Warriors absolutely, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say they embarrassed Denver. I mean, that was an embarrassing game for Denver. I don't think anyone is going to disagree with that. Oh, my God. Golden State is just like I expected them to be good when they were at full strength, mm-hmm. but this is looking like the 2016 team good. Yeah, like this yeah. is this is ridiculous. And of course, Denver's defense is absolutely abysmal in the oh. playoffs. I don't think anyone's yeah. denying that. And um, we're surprised by it. I don't think I don't think anyone right, should be surprised. shocked by this. Not even Swipe and, a Cam. Yeah, not even Swipe a Cam should be shocked by this. And it's like. Man, I just, I don't know. They're just, there's too much going on. Like, the, obviously you have the 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 small lineup that everyone's still trying to find a name for. Did you see? I like the, the, I liked PTSD. I like that one. I, I also liked Fast Five. I thought Fast Five was cool because they get out and good. gun. They get out and gun. Did you see what their numbers are so far? I was actually just, it was like in 11 minutes, they have like a 125 offensive rating and like a 75 defensive rating or something. It's a 125 net rating. They have a 205 offensive rating. Oh my God. (laughs) A 205. Obviously, that's not sustainable at all. I will never say that high. But the fact that we can look at it and say that they have a 205 offensive rating. With that lineup on the floor is absolutely absurd, and and the fact the fact is you can't even say it's shooting luck because there's no shooting luck when it comes to Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. There, and that, even it doesn't Poole exist, now. and even Jordan Poole now it doesn't exist. And well, I I know this was one thing that I've been talking about to a lot of people, you included. Does Draymond have that gear? He absolutely still does. Draymond is yeah, a playoff what, performer. Like 40, and he shot what, like 40% from three last night? Something stupid like that? Dray- Draymond is, he, he's still him. He's still the best defender on the planet and a legitimate offensive threat in the playoffs. He's, man, the Warriors are just so good. We saw them at the beginning of this year at full strength, and they looked like the best team in basketball for the first few weeks, uh, even better than the Suns at one point. 
Steph Curry went on that slump. Uh, Draymond got hurt. They still didn't have Clay Thompson yet. Jordan Poole had yet to come out of his shell. He was playing good, but he took it into another gear when Steph got hurt at the end of the year. Right. Uh, Andrew Wiggins was playing very good basketball the best of his career, but still wasn't like performing like a superstar or anything. And I feel like once all of that happened, once all these injuries happened, people in and out of the lineup, the Steve Kerr, very questionable rotations. Um, people really thought the people really started to overlook the Warriors. Like they were like saying the Nuggets can co- could compete in this series. They were saying the the Grizzlies would beat them in a second round. All of this stuff, dude. The Warriors, when playing like this, are the best team in basketball. Like just in the last episode, I said Phoenix is the best team in basketball. I still think they're the best overall team. But they, I don't even think they could compete with the Warriors when they're playing like this. It's it's absurd. Like. Yeah. Steph Curry had 34 points in 23 minutes. He took like 15 shots. Like, what are we doing? I mean, you have Jordan Poole who had like back-to-back 30-point games in his first two playoff games ever. Like I said, Steph Curry currently has like a 77 true shooting in the playoffs off the bench on a minutes restriction. Klay Thompson is still Klay Thompson. Draymond Green is still Draymond Green. Andrew Wiggins is looking like a defensive monster. Um, they're they're playing Nemanja Bjelica and winning those minutes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this Warriors team is just crazy. It's just like, I don't know, man, because they scored seventy points in nineteen minutes last night. That is, I've never seen anything like that in my life. There's just nothing you can do about that. I mean, it's just. <laughs> 70 points in 19 minutes. And what? That's like. <laughs> that's more than three points per minute. One of my biggest takeaways so far has been, you know, for a lot of the season, it's been. And I know they're facing the Warriors right now, and the Warriors look like the best team on the planet after last night. But I've seen a lot of people throughout the season, the narrative was once Denver gets. Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. back, you know, they're arguably the best team in the West. And now I'm kind of like, could they be really good with Jamal Murray back? Yeah, I think so. But there are still some pretty, pretty significant glaring issues with the way this roster has been constructed that I think not even Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. coming back would be enough to make this team competitive. Especially against well, the Warriors. Well, that's just it. Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. coming back is going to supercharge that offense. They're going to outgun the Warriors in a couple games. I think that'd be a six or maybe even seven game series. But that doesn't fix the problem with their defense. And um, one thing about the Warriors is that if you have a defensive problem, it's going to be exploited. Mm-hmm. It's going to it's going to be taken advantage of every single possession down the floor. Yep. And it's just yeah, the Warriors are just. They look unbeatable right now. And who knows what they'll look like uh, in the next few games. They'll probably close out Denver in five at most. And I don't even know if they're going to face Minnesota or Memphis, but I don't think either team has a chance of beating them. I think the Warriors are smooth cruising to the conference finals at this point, barring injury, of course. Yeah, it would take it would take an act of God to to have them not steamroll through the second round assuming 
I mean, either team, honestly, is going to get just, you know, obliterated by them. I, I like I like Memphis and I like Minnesota a lot. Uh, but I mean, it would be it would be a bloodbath. And yeah, and that's the thing. The Warriors are just uh, they're they're when they're healthy, they're probably the best defensive team and at worst, the top three offensive team in the league. Yeah. Um, so it's just like, like you said, an act of God is like taking Stephen Curry's shooting ability for half of a season. But that already happened and they got through that. <laughs> so yeah, they can survive anything at this point. They, they can survive. If they like. can survive the greatest shooter of all time, shooting like 35% for half of a season. Um, I'm pretty sure they'll be fine. Uh, with most teams and I just man the one thing about them too is that not only are they very good um I think they are the greatest show in the world I made a tweet I said the Warriors are the greatest show in the world there's no other team that can make a blowout entertaining they make playoff blowouts like you have must watch tv I don't Mm -hmm. get it it's like I remember uh my brother texts me when the Warriors first went on that second quarter run and Steph Curry had like that spin spin layup. My brother texts me. He's like, dude, this, this is crazy. <laughs> the Warriors are insane. I'm like, yep. And then the third quarter happened. And when Steph Curry hit that and one three pointer, I, I almost yep. lost it. I oh my like, God. I was like, you can't be serious. They can't miss. They didn't miss a shot. It was like, and then you had Jordan Poole like start taking over with like step back fading out of bounds threes in the corner, and then that left-handed hook touch pass to the post, and it's just man, everyone clearly bought into the system. There were a few questionable clay post ups after they were running away with the game, but uh, besides that, the motion offense is is working as well. It's it's ever worked right now, and that run last night gave me heavy twenty seventeen vibes. Yeah. Um, watching them and to me they're just right now easily the most fun and probably best team uh to watch in basketball yeah i would agree with that um so moving on to another series that you know we don't have to spend too much time on it because they haven't played another game yet and uh they played a night after uh after we're done talking um memphis and minnesota uh we kind of talked about really everything that there was to talk about i feel like um, I still fully expect Steven Adams to be more or less played out of this series. Um, I would, mm. I would imagine probably Xavier Tillman, uh, Tillman's going to get some, some run tonight. They'll probably throw him on cat. Uh, maybe even see some Jaron Jackson jr. On him, uh, barring he doesn't get into foul trouble. Um, I, I don't know. I, with every day that passes, I become more and more confident and I convince myself more and more that Minnesota is going to get out of this series in six. Mm. Yeah, I can respect that. I mean, it's still pretty, it's hard for me to say because obviously like these teams, uh, both have their advantages and it feels like both advantages are kind of being neutralized. Like John Morant was absolutely phenomenal in the first half. Like, I don't know if he even missed a single shot and I'm pretty sure Memphis was still losing. Yeah. Which is like, that's pretty unacceptable. Um, and then they went on a run in the non-John minutes, which, uh, of course, reinforced the narrative that they're better without John Morant. <laughs> um, that silly thing. But, like, I, I want to see Jaron at the five. I want to see 
a smaller guy on Cat because putting Steven Adams on Cat is absolutely unacceptable considering Cat just blew past him every single time. Mm-hmm. He just isn't fast enough to, to keep up with him. And Anthony Edwards is him. <laughs> I mean, that's the best way to describe it. He's, he's just phenomenal. Uh, the body of a linebacker with the handle and shot of a 6-1 point guard. It's just crazy. And they didn't even get the best game from D'Lo. Exactly. And that's what, that's one of the biggest things for me is the fact that, you know, D'Lo scoring-wise put up an absolute stinker, but still had such a massive impact on the game and was mm-hmm. able to contribute to their winning in that game. It's like, man, if if these guys are all going off on the same night, I mean, even outside of those three, they still have a decent supporting cast. I mean, Jade McDaniels, great defender. He showed some, some promising. Uh, yep, Vando. Uh, I mean, Malik Beasley. Beasley's a off. good scoring option, yeah. Mm-hmm. If Nas Reed can, can get a little bit hot, then he's a, a scary stretch big. I mean, really, they have a well enough rounded team for for memphis in my opinion it's just going to be a question of what kind of adjustments does memphis make you know do they go full small uh with jaron jackson jr at the five uh throw brandon clark at at catmore stop switching as many pick and rolls uh you know it's it's really just coming down to the chess match of the game at this point yeah that's yeah that's pretty much where i stand as well and you said, like you said, you have Minnesota coming out in six. I I wouldn't be surprised at a single outcome that could happen. Like, if Memphis just cleaned the next four, I wouldn't be surprised. If Minnesota just cleaned the next three, I wouldn't be surprised. If it went to seven in either one, I wouldn't be surprised. I just feel like this is such a um, volatile series where it's like, it's predicated on, like you said, the chess, not only the chess match, but also um, how each of these guys performs. Like, yeah. What if Edwards doesn't go off in that game? Do can Minnesota still win? Right on the same front. What if Ja doesn't go off? Is the deficit even more? Like, it's pretty. Um, it's wide it's open. It's pretty interesting. It's a very interesting dynamic in this series, and um, I definitely think Memphis needs to make some adjustments. And I'm excited to see uh, what happens in this next game, considering the way Ja has been talking. <laughs> The way yeah. Ja's been like Ooh. with the Jordan clip and the tweets, uh, it'll be interesting. I, I think Memphis will come out with a different energy for sure. Whether that's good or bad, they'll they'll come out with a different energy. I think. I hope so, just for the sake of of having a good game. Um, mm-hmm. But moving on from from that series, we'll see uh, more from them tonight. Do we really need to talk about? Milwaukee and Chicago because to me that game you know Milwaukee went up big Chicago came back and then of course Milwaukee was like oh we we got to play basketball again all right I guess we'll 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 get back out there and we'll start uh we'll start hooping again we'll start taking it seriously and then next thing you know they win I mean valiant effort by by Chicago making it uh, a close game but I mean Milwaukee proved in that first game that they can go down or not go down. They can, they can have the other team nip it on their heels a little bit. But to me, it was like, you know, they got another gear. They can flip it into when they need to. Yeah. It's almost just like Milwaukee was like, um, it gets to a point where if they want to win the game, they will. And they wanted to win the game and they did. And it was like, 
it's pretty funny because uh, I live uh, obviously like 40 minutes away from downtown Chicago. So everyone around me is Bulls fans. Yep. And my friend texts me and he goes, this Bulls team sucks. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it was in the fourth quarter. And I was like, yeah, I was like, DeRozan's not playing very good. He said, nobody's playing good. I'm never watching this high school team again. <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah, I, I feel you. Like the Bucks had probably their worst offensive game of the season and they still won. Mm. It's like, uh, they were, they were, yeah. Giannis looked like when an eighth grader is playing a bunch of elementary school kids at recess. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, like when he, when he lobbed it off the backboard to himself, I knew it was over. It's <laughs> like, all right, man. I was like, all right, man. And like you said, there's not really much to talk about. The Bucks just have another gear, um, that championship-level gear that the Bulls can't get to, especially when you have playoff DeRozan as your <laughs> primary creator. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just I would be surprised if Chicago wins a game in this series. Yeah. Well, we don't have to add insult to injury and keep pouring salt in the wound, so we'll, we'll keep it pushing. Uh, <laughs> a bit more of a contentious matchup. Uh, not necessarily on the scoreboard, but more so on Twitter, was uh, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Toronto Raptors. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers made pretty pretty light work of them. Um, I mean, yeah. it was it, it. This is a weird. This is a weird thing that I've been experiencing with Philly, because Joel Embiid is an incredible player, and I'll be the first person to tell you that he is amazing. Mm-hmm. Very, 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 very good basketball player. One of the best on the planet right now. But for some reason, Philadelphia is just the most boring team to watch. And I don't quite know (laughs) why, but I just don't enjoy watching them play basketball. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the the fouling or whatever. I, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. But I just do not have fun watching them play basketball. They're very good. But I, I just don't find it enjoyable, and I don't know why. I know what it is, and I feel like once I say this, you'll kind of get it. Um, for one, you already know exactly what's going to happen every single time they cross half court. James Harden is going to initiate the set. Joel Embiid's probably going to set a quick like flare screen for Tobias Harris. He's going to run to the top of the key. He's either going to get a screen and roll to the elbow for a midi, or he's going to get the ball at the top of the key, post up, and draw a foul. It's to the point where the reason I don't get excited watching them is because they do the exact same thing every time. And I don't blame them. No, it, it, works. Works. it works. Their offense has been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But it's like, as from a fan perspective, if I already know exactly what you're going to do every play, um, I don't get excited watching it happen. Right. And it's just like... That's kind of how a lot of James Harden offenses have been, where it's like you know exactly what's going to happen, so it's a bit hard to watch uh, unless it's like the closing minutes of a playoff game. Right. And Philly, that hasn't there haven't hasn't been closing minutes of these playoff games because Philly is handling Toronto, and I I think Philly's underrated. I do. I I had them making the conference finals on my uh, my final bracket, and. People were calling me crazy, saying they're going to lose to Toronto. I don't get why Philly got so underrated. They're very good. I understand the the criticisms with James Harden not playing up to his standards, uh, Tobias Harris being kind of a question mark. Um, But Joel Embiid has been 
a very, very inefficient post and isolation scorer, and they've had the number one offense in the playoffs so far. To me, that kind of speaks to the versatility of this team and uh, how good they can actually be. And Joel Embiid will be the first to tell you he does not care how he's playing individually as an isolation scorer. He'll take that trade off any day. And when those shots start falling, when he starts getting it going, um, Philly looks to be very serious. They look like a serious team. So what you said kind of spawns a question when you were saying that they, they do the exact same thing pretty much every single possession. That spawns an interesting question in my mind of what happens when they meet a team that is cape. I don't know exactly which team this, this would be. Maybe it's Miami. Maybe it's Boston. But what happens when they meet a team that is able to shut down that kind of predictable offense that they run pretty much every single time. What does Doc Rivers make an adjustment? I mean, to me, that sounds like a lot to ask of a guy who is notorious for not making adjustments. So does that concern you at all? Um, I, I, I definitely think that's, that's a pretty decent concern uh, in most cases, but I also feel like having a guy on the team that you can just throw the ball uh, to 12 feet away from the basket and essentially generate just as efficient of an offense. Um, it's not, it doesn't worry me that much. Like Embiid has clearly shown in these first two games, his improvements as a playmaker and decision maker. And there's not a single team on the planet that's going to leave him in single coverage. It's just not going to happen. No, you don't leave Joel Embiid in single coverage. Cause if you do good luck. And now He's reacting to these doubles quicker, and he has more decision makers around him in Maxi and Harden, who are both very capable um, offensive players. They're shooting. It's gonna be. I think it comes down to their shooting. Are they hitting their shots? And in these first few games, two games, they've hit pretty much everything. They're shooting like almost fifty percent from three. And to me, it, it comes down to. Uh, even if their offense is predictable, I think they have uh, enough versatility to counter it. It's just, are they hitting their shots? And yeah. obviously the playoffs have a lot of variance, so that's what it would come down to to me. Yeah, I uh, I think they're going to make pretty quick work of, of Toronto, and, and this is going to be a, a short series. But you never know. You never know. A, a series doesn't start until a team win a game, wins a game on the road, so we'll see what happens uh, at Game 3 in Toronto where Matisse Thibel can't play, so that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, mm-hmm. But moving on to the Pelicans and the Suns, and again, this is one I don't feel like we have to dwell too long on because, unfortunately, for the Pelicans, I think this is just another example of a team that is outclassed and outmatched. Um, you know, when Jonas Valanciunas is being relied on as heavily as he was in that game, um, in game one, you know, you're kind of asking for a bad time. I don't, <laughs> uh, this is a series that if it ended in four, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. I, I pretty much expected that. I'd be surprised if it went to five. Uh, if yeah. it goes to five, props to the Pelicans, man. That's that's a win in my book. This season's already a win in my book. Making the playoffs, which was the plan. Um, you know, they did what they needed to do. Now you kind of just got to hope Zion comes back and he's healthy and he's able to be that Zion that we saw last year that was just so incredible. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, this this series is going to be quick. Yeah, I, I don't have I don't have anything to say about this. It's just I just wanted to let you get 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 your stuff off because I saw the Valanciunas tweet. Uh, you're pretty clearly not too fond of the guy's play, um, so yeah. I just want to let you get get your little thing off. But yeah, I don't have anything to say about this series. It's just right. the Suns are just a very good team. Yep. Yeah. I mean, any other team? May well. I mean, aside from like the Warriors, maybe maybe the Pelicans could have put up some semblance of a fight. Maybe stretched a series to six, but I mean, without actually. Zion, I have one thing to say about the Suns. Ooh, okay. Chris Paul. All right, you can move on. Okay, yeah, that's fair. No, definitely <laughs> definitely needed to address uh, Chris Paul. I think you said – I think you, you hit the nail on the head with that, uh, Chris Paul. Um, so the last series, I believe, as long as I didn't miss anything – yeah, it looks like I didn't. The last series for us to talk about is Miami and Atlanta. I have – I have mixed feelings about this series. I think there's some interesting things going on with the Hawks uh, right now, specifically in that, in game one that, uh, you know, didn't go in their favor. Miami looked really, really good. They looked borderline unstoppable. I mean, against the Hawks. So granted, you know, terrible defense, but you know, it looks like a one seed against a, what were the Hawks, the 10 seed, the nine seed. It looks like a one seed against a nine seed right now. Yeah, and when you're relying on one guy to generate all of your offense and he has one of the worst games of his career, uh, yeah, you can't expect to not lose by 30. And yeah. it's just, I mean, I don't want to jump jump the uh, gun on Miami because, like you said, the Hawks' defense is absolutely abysmal. But, like, they looked really good, especially Jimmy Butler. They looked like a really, really good team. And... Yeah. um whether that translates to when they're facing a tougher second round defense in Philly or Toronto, uh, we'll see. But uh, to me, like you said, a one, this feels like a one versus a nine. And uh, I don't think Miami's really worried much at all. Yeah. I can't imagine they uh, they've got too much concern about the rest of the series. I think in all likelihood, I would imagine Atlanta is going to take at least one game Um just on a on a Trey Young forty point game when he just right, gets you're bound to have a Trey explosion. So you yeah. know, I see them. You know, maybe him and John Collins start going off. If uh, is John Collins, he he didn't play in that last game, did he? I can't yeah, remember. He did, he did, but did. That's what I thought. Um, you know, maybe there's a chance that you know him and John Collins just pop off. Maybe DeAndre Hunter goes for twenty plus or something like that. But you know, they're going to be relying on some some just really tough shot making and, you know, impressive feats to actually be able to get out of this series uh, with any sort of, um, you know, any number of wins. If they get one win, I think that's possible. Two wins, maybe pushing it a little bit. Three wins, props. They make it out of this. That's crazy. That's a crazy upset. And I mean, the slander would be off the charts for Miami, especially with how much they've been talking lately, which I have no problem with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're if you're if you know you're outmatched or you're outmatching your opponent and you're you're confident in your abilities, talk all you want. Go for it. Uh, right. My issue real quick. One one last thing before we get out of here, because I don't think there's really too much to talk about with Miami and Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I tweeted about this uh the other day, I said, 
I think that players talking trash on social media during the playoffs is generally a terrible idea. Yeah, referring sweet, specifically yep. to Ja Morant and the Michael Jordan stuff, which I, you know, the posts were cool. Like I, I saw the posts and I was like, yeah, man, like this, this post is kind of hard. Like this is sick. But at the same time, I was like, you're down 0-1 in a series. And it wasn't a situation where it was like a super duper close game. It wasn't a situation where like, you know, the Wolves just got stupid hot. It was a situation where like they dismantled your team and they dismantled mm-hmm. your game plan. And yeah. it's one thing when you just have a bad game and you don't have it and you just struggle. It's another thing when you are losing, like I said earlier, it's another thing when you're losing the chess match of the game. In, mm-hmm. in that case, that's when I'm like, you might need to hunker down, start to focus on the game plan a little bit, and maybe don't spend as much time on social media because, you know, is the risk really worth the reward like i said on twitter you win and in hindsight the posts look cool like people go back to them and they're like oh the grizzlies are undefeated they went they won the next four games after this tweet you know cool that that's that's dope but you know if you lose people are going to be digging those things up real fast yeah 100 percent, and it's like uh, it, it, you know what vibes it gives off is stupidly locked in. That's kind of what it reminds yeah, exactly. me of. That's exactly what it reminded <laughs> me of. We're stupidly locked in this year, and then you get swept in. The slander is generational. Yep. And that's kind of what you bring on if you start talking. But like in that Jordan clip, if you talk while you're down, and then you prove it, you look real good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you look real good. And that, it'll be interesting because John Morant is already a pretty polarizing social media presence. People are, are very loud in uh, how they feel about him, both yep. on and off the court. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting for sure to see how that plays out. I agree. No doubt about it. So I think that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, be sure to follow us both on Twitter uh, at AlexHoopsYT at KG's Goat. Uh, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channels, uh, same names, uh, Alex Hoops uh, Hoop Venue, and uh, follow us on uh, our YouTube channel for the podcast, uh, The Pin Down. Once again, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll see you in the next one.